welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. You are here on week two of our series, Go. Everyone say Go. Go. Not no, that's what Jonah said. God said go, and Jonah said no. And uh, I can't help but feel that we live in a land of Jonahs. God is telling us to go, and we say no. Hey, don't get me wrong, Jonah had his reasons, and so do you, but they're not reason enough. I'm just going to say this off the bat there's some things I say this morning you will not like. So don't hate me. Okay, just a messenger this morning. But I want to I stir you. I want to challenge you. I want to get you out of your comfort zones and your little comfort bubbles. Because that's where many of us are at right now. We're in our comfort zones. And in our comfort zones, we're not doing what we should be doing. And we get bored. And in our boredom, we start to criticise. And in our boredom, we start to look around at other things. And uh, I, I want to I stir us. Because I don't know that what I shared this morning will be too new for most of you. Because if you've been a Christian for five months, five years or whatever, you're likely to have heard these thoughts. And uh, the question is not what we know. The question is, what are we doing with what we know? And so this whole series that I will continue next week uh, is about stirring us and motivating us to action. But on a firm, biblical, theological foundation. Because we don't just want more activity. More activity will lead to burnout. And we are not here to burn anyone out. But we are here to mobilise the church. It's my God-given right and my God-given mandate to mobilise the church. That's what I'm here for. And uh, if I can have you as friends as well, that's the bonus. Praise God. But there are some times when friends and loved ones say some things that we don't like. It doesn't mean we love you any less. It just means you don't like what you're hearing. But the, the, the biblical mature response is to go to the Word of God and find out if what is being preached is accurate or not. And so I pray that we would be a people that would grab a hold of the truth of God's Word and move forward. In Matthew 28, now what you've got to understand about these words is they are written in red, which means Jesus spoke them. These are Jesus' words, not mine. These are not the words of our church. This is not my preference. This is something, the, 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 the sacrificial one, the one who laid down his life, that we might have life, spoke as a commission and mandate of the church. So if you have issues with this this morning, it's with Jesus you have an issue. You need to know that. It's what causes me to sleep well at night. Jesus said, if they hated you, remember this, they hated me first. And so it says, you think, what on earth is he going to say? I don't know. Uh, Matthew 28 verse 18 says, therefore, Go! Everyone say, go. go! Some bright spark said, is that Go logo? Did you take that off the television? Program? Yes, I did. That's what I did. Okay. Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what is known as the Great Commission. And the word commission means a common mission. This is not an elder mission. This is not a deacon mission. This is a common mission. This is a mission that every believer should be involved in. And that mission is reaching people for Christ. We have not been left here on planet earth to worship God 
although we do that. We have not been left on earth to make music to God, although we do that. The primary reason for being left here on planet earth is to reach those that are unknown to God. Or sorry, who who don't know God yet. And that's why we are here. We've been left here for a mission. And that mission should be shared amongst each and every one of us. So if you're sitting at the back row and you're rocked up late today, don't think that this is not for you. It's for you. You may have been late this morning, but you're not too late to hear this message. It's for you. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. And then say, and me. And me. And the reason I'm so strong about this is because without mission, we get bored. I've asked myself this question, why are there so many bored Christians? And it's obvious because we're not doing what we should. If you go to work and you're not doing what you should do at work, you get bored. You're going to get bored if you don't do what we're meant to be doing as a church. And we want to stop that boredom because God would have us missional minded people. And last week we looked at some things and I quickly highlight them. That mission is an attribute of God. We don't want more activity, but we do want to become more like God. If I was to ask a question for every Christian in this place, who wants to become more like God? Then mission together with Him. Don't see it as activity. Don't see it as work. Don't see it as something arduous. See it as something that makes us more like Him. Because mission is an attribute of God before it's an activity of the church. We serve a mission-minded God. Secondly, it's God's mission, not ours, which kind of takes the pressure off. This isn't something we've made up. This isn't something that we like. Me and Pete, when we started this church, we were bored and we thought, what can we just get some people to do? No, this is God's mission. And we get to partner with Him in that mission, which is an incredible privilege. Thirdly, without mission, the church ceases to be the church. We can do everything. We can, do, we can have great music. We can have a great building. We can do a lot of great things. But without mission... We're wasting our time. And the last point I made last week was that mission starts at home. We're doing a trip to India, at least the ladies are, and some of the dads and lads are doing a trip to Madagascar. We believe in the nations. We believe in going beyond our borders. But uh, the numbers that are going to India and the numbers that are going to Madagascar are quite small compared to the amount of people in this church. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved in missions. And that we shouldn't be involved in reaching our world. Because that's what God would have us to do. God has called us to be missionaries. He's a missionary-minded God. The Bible says in John 3.16, many of you know this, that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. His Son so loved the world that He went. He was sent and He went. And God is asking the same of us. He's sending us into our world. All of you have a world you live in. Do you know that? You all live, you know, you you may not ever go to China. Many of us will never get into deepest, darkest Africa. Nonetheless, you have a world you live in. And just as God sent Jesus to the world, He's sending us into our world. And that world could be your workplace. It could be your school. It could be your university. It could be your job, young people, if you had one. It would be there. Wherever it is that God has put you is your world. And He wants you to be a missionary in that world in which you live. Now, as I say this, I feel pretty stupid because I'm looking at people who already know this. For many of you, this is not new news to you. 
And so I feel this incredible pressure to bring something deeper this morning. To wow us. But what's the point of wowing us if we're not doing what we already know? Mark Twain said this, he said, it's not what I don't know that concerns me. It's what I do know. And I'm convinced that God will not hold us to account because we didn't fully understand the book of Revelation and what the full meaning of the red horse was over the full meaning of the white horse, over the full meaning of the black horse. I don't think he's going to have us over that one. I think he's going to say, what is it about the Great Commission you didn't understand? So why didn't you do something about it? And your question about the red horse or the black horse is going to be insignificant. And so my question is, if we already know this, what stops us doing it? Because the sad thing is, many Christians go their whole life and they never have the privilege nor the joy of leading someone to Christ. And it's an indictment. It really is. The gospel means good news. And yet at the same time, we share good news about other things with our friends. We say, oh, you should have seen the mighty Melbourne. They got up over port yesterday. And we'll tell our friends. Any Melbourne supporters? I am today. I'm a Melbourne supporter today. Thank God for Melbourne. And we tell our friends because it's good news. And the fact, whenever Port Adelaide lose, that's great news. It's good news. I want everyone to know, Port Adelaide lost. And, and, and they will probably finish higher than the Crows this year, but you've got to take a hold of God's small mercies. Port Adelaide lost this week. We share it. We, we evangelise. Well, we get a new 50-inch plasma screen. We don't keep that to ourselves. We tell everyone. So to say, God, I was incapable of sharing good news is I know you're not. And he'll remind us of all the times we shared good news. The question is, how good is the news of Jesus to you? Or is your plasma more important? Is your football team more important? None of those things died for you. None of those things took your sin upon themselves and sacrificed themselves. So we're capable of sharing the good news. We know we should share the good news, but we still don't do it. Why is that? I'm sure it's a number of things, but I've just quickly got it down to two for the sake of time. And one is, I think it's because we lose focus. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this argument in the body of Christ, and I've had it ever since I've been leading this church and before that. It's one that every pastor gets faced with. This notion that, Pastor, if I wasn't at all the meetings, I would be able to reach my friends more. I said, that sounds so, it sounds so right. More time equals more opportunities. It sounds right. One plus one equals two. The trouble is I'm yet to see that be a reality. I've never seen the people say, I don't want to come Sunday nights and I don't want to come to the prayer. I've never seen them actually come with anyone yet. It doesn't happen. Because the more away from God we are, the less focus we have. The ones that are building this church are the committed ones for the most part. Because it's a little thing called focus. It's not more time we need, it's more focus that we need. I got a few goods and that's probably all I expected. But it's true. You think about it. And that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus' mission better than any of us. He reached out to his family and friends better than any of us, but he was always at church. 
Who wants to be more like Jesus? Well, let's mission and get to church. Because it's focus that we need. And let's face it, with television bombarding us of what we need, we just need to come and say, hang on, what's my priorities again? Because we all drift. I drift. You drift. Or let me say it this way, we all leak. Whatever goes in, comes out, we leak. You can't put food into your body and say, well, I've had a meal, I'm full forever now. No, we leak. We wee and we poo, don't we? We do. So isn't it ridiculous to think that one meal can sustain me for the rest of my life? If I was to ask, and please don't show me hands, I'll probably get, I'll probably get really disheartened and then get angry and then become very aggressive. And I don't want to do that this morning because I am capable of doing that. But if I was to say, how many of you have read the Bible every day this week? Please don't show me your hands. I like that silence, it's nice. Just think about it. And even if you did tick off, I read it everywhere, how many of you got something out of it? How many of you then stopped to actually thought about, think about what you read? See, it's not more time we need, it's more focus. Why did I share this morning that there are 350,000 million galaxies out there and yet a caterpillar has 228 muscles in its brain, in its head? To help focus us on the bigness of God and the intricateness of God. (laughs) To focus us. Because we lose focus. And secondly, because we lack wisdom. Some of us are focused, but we just don't have the wisdom we need to really reach our family and friends. I don't know how wise it is to ring up our church over this event when they don't know who we are from a bar of soap. They haven't tried to hear our heart on why we're doing it. They just want to attack us. And poor old Barb had to get an earful. She literally had to hold the, the, the phone. That's right. Yeah, the the technical name for the phone, away from it because it's so loud. I just don't see Jesus doing that. Having said that, we're not saying this is the, this is the biggest and the best thing to do. We're just, we're just trying to walk with God as best we know how. And if it's a flop, we'll repent. We'll do something else. But in the meantime, we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> See, to win people for Christ and to reach our communities and to increase our sphere of influence, it's going to take more than just zeal and singing like we've done this morning. In Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Again, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, but the, sorry, Be wise in the way you are toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And so if we're serious about reaching our world... We have to know how people tick. And that takes time. And I think another reason we don't reach our family and friends is because by and large we're lazy. 
if we do feel to reach out at all, it's, it's a one-off. You've got one chance at this, buddy. I'm a busy guy. And so we say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to hell? Cool, I'm free from my obligation. Preach the gospel. But evangelism is not an event. It's a process. And that process takes time. I think most of you who have given your life to Christ would struggle to know exactly when you did it because there was this process. I remember this conversation. I remember punching a guy in the head because he was Christian. I didn't like that. But then I felt bad about it and I felt God. And there's this process. We've had that. Some guys have punched and beaten Christians up. And then this conviction came. They don't, where's this conviction coming from? I've beaten up lots of guys. I never felt bad about that. But I've beaten a Christian up now. I feel bad. God's at work. While they're bleeding, God's at work. So it takes time because it's a process. And while I don't want to be too clinical this morning, I just want to highlight three processes I believe that are involved in us missioning or being evangelistic to our family and friends. And the first one, and I don't often do this, but these all start with P, okay? Just keep it real easy. Hope I don't pee anyone off this morning. But <laughs> the first thing involved, if you're really serious about putting into practice what I'm saying, there needs to be presence. You need to have a presence with people. How many of you even have unsaved friends these days? See, I go to church as much as any of you, but I, I have a sphere of influence amongst unsaved people. And the great thing about presence is, Presence is about a lifestyle. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, Be my witnesses. It didn't say go witnessing, it said, Be my witnesses. Do you know what's letting us down? Facebook. We say, Jesus loves you. Then we get on Facebook and say, You're all right. The amount of times our young people use the F word on Facebook and don't think anything of it. See, it's not that we sin that's the biggest problem, it's that we don't even care anymore. It's not that we sin, it's that we don't even get convicted when we sin. Hey, I mess up and I mess up publicly. You've seen me. But if I'm trying to teach you anything, is that I'm not perfect, but I will own my mistakes. Because if we're in the presence of God, you can't just keep doing your own thing and just get on with it. I don't mind that you mess up. We all mess up. But we should feel bad about that. If we're not feeling bad about it, there's something wrong. Because lifestyle, our lifestyle is going to speak louder than our words. What we do or what we don't do is going to speak louder. Someone once said that Christians must first be good news before they share good news. You meet some people, they're always whinging, they're always bickering. Some of you bag on this church and then wonder why your friends don't come. It's insane. You've had a bad day with someone. You talk about people in this church. And so if we're going to be effective, we have to first model something. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, You yourselves are our letters, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Everyone's reading you. 
What you do says something about this church, good or bad. You may be the only Bible people ever read. What's your Bible saying to them? Does your Bible say, hey, you can sleep around because God forgives you? My Bible doesn't say that. But that may be what your Bible is saying to them by your lifestyle. When we swear and carry on and do all these things and, and then we don't feel bad about it, we don't apologize, we're saying, our Bible says we're so free we can do whatever we want. My Bible doesn't say that. Presence is not only about lifestyle, but it's also about relationships. And most witnessing fails because we don't develop relationships. We stand on the street corner, ripping into people, and there's no relationship. But there are other people who develop relationships, but they never build on those relationships. You know, there's a lot of talk amongst Christians have had their nose put out of joint by churches. There's a life outside of church, you know. I've heard that so often. And I go to church often, but I know that. I have a big world outside of church. If you don't have a word outside of church, that's probably something to do with your fault. We should create opportunities. I was talking to someone just this week, and they were saying, you know, they don't really have any non-Christian friends because they're children of a certain age, and they don't play certain sports, this, that, and the other. And and my, my comeback was, well, what are you going to do about that? I said, join a tennis club. Do something that gets you amongst people. Because if you don't have a life outside of church, that's not the church's fault. Does that make sense? And so for us to reach the world, we've got to get into it, but not be of it. It says, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He went to the pubs, he went to the clubs, he even turned water into wine, alcoholic wine. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say it's alcoholic wine. Jesus isn't so caught up as some people are about certain things. Because you know what, we can have an event like this, but we can model something that is so different. And that's what we want to show people. I want my world to increase. I want you to bring your friends. I want to get in your friend's world. I'm going to be there. And even if you can't, for whatever reason, get a mate along, come and meet someone else's friend. I don't get why we don't go to certain things that the church puts on because it's an incredible opportunity for us to increase our world. Kath and the ladies do a a bi-monthly women's meeting and you don't have to come to it, but it's the most... Supported outreach meeting that we have. If you want to meet 20 or 30 new ladies you've never met before, go to that meeting. Not the men, just the ladies. And so it is for the men. Got to do something. And when people see your life, then they begin to ask questions. And I've had this Happened to me just this, what, two weeks ago. A friend that I hooked up on Facebook, having not seen for over 20 years, we uh, had the round for dinner, went skating with them, got to know them, re-established a friendship. And I got a phone call on a Monday morning, saying, hey, Tony, uh, can I speak to you? 
and it was about a relational issue and wanting to get in, you know, help and all the rest of it. I, I, didn't, I didn't put that on her. They came to me. Because they'd been in our home and seen something. Saw something different. And can you imagine if all of us having these moments, one, you won't be bored. And please don't sit there thinking, oh, listen to him, he's showing. I'm excited about this. This is good news. So it starts with presence. You've got to have a presence with people. Secondly, proclamation. Having gained someone trust and friendships being established, we need then to share the truth. Because if people just think, wow, you've got a great family, and you take the glory for yourself, yeah, I'm a good dad. That's wrong. And we have to then be able to turn these friendships into an opportunity to share, hang on, what you see about my life, it's not me. It's God at work in my life. See, I need you to know, know something, church. I struggle being a pastor, I do. And I struggle being a dad. And I struggle being a husband. It's not easy. None of those things are easy. I struggle with all of them. But the reason I'm able to do all of them is because of God. And I want him to receive the glory for that. This friend who I met up with asked me the question, don't you feel, having been married to Kath for so long and having met at such a young age, don't you feel like you've missed out on something? And I live for those moments. I'm like, oh, you poor girl. I, I, I live for those moments. And I said, can I just remind you of why we're here today? We're here because of the problems that you're having. I said, I've listened to you for half an hour and I'm feeling very grateful for my life. Thank you very much. I don't feel I've missed out on anything at all. She looks at me and says, touche. We were talking about the roles of men and women because she's struggling with a relationship. And I said about men, and da, 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 I said, I'm strong with men. I'm strong with the men in our church. I think they've got a role and a place. To... And she stops me and says, that's very 1950s of you, isn't it? <laughs> Again, I live for those moments. I said, oh, honey. I said, it goes, it goes back beyond the 50s, beyond the 40s, beyond the 30s. I said, it goes back 2,000 years to the Bible. <laughs> and then I told her, my little story that I've been telling all you, because I know they're into, many people are into MasterChef. I said, imagine a guy buying a cookbook and, and wanting to buy a cake, but they don't listen to any of the author's instructions and they build it, buy, make a cake and it's nothing like the picture. I said, don't you think it'd be ridiculous for the, the person that's made that cake to then blame the author of the cookbook when they haven't listened to a thing that author has said? I said, that's what we do with God all the time. He said, oh, that's two touches. I said, I said, you know, I do have a good marriage, but I'm not that good. And I said, it seems to me, and she said, I, I just don't know anyone who has a marriage like you. So my next thought is, I need to get in, in, my, in my world. I said, that may be true for your world, but for my world, I have lots of people who have happy marriages. Can you imagine what that would look like? We build the friendship and they start talking about, the, wow, you're a great husband. Gee, Kat's a great wife. You're a great parent. I said, yeah, I'm pretty good, aren't I? What, a, what, a, what an indictment. How wrong of me or any of us to do that? I might be good, 
but ain't that good. It's so funny that people have accused me of being big-headed. I don't know why. They do. They think you're so arrogant. I've been accused of all of that. And I'll stand up here and say, but God, I've got nothing. Any confidence I have, and I am confident, I'll give you that. I'm confident. But in God. I've got a confidence that my marriage can last till the day I die. I have a confidence that our kids can serve Jesus all the days. I've got a confidence in God. I don't have to listen to all the junk that's out there. You know, they said, oh, you wait till your kids get to the age of two, the terrible twos. We've been three kids through the twos, and we didn't have those terrible times. Just refuse to have these false prophets come into my world. You wait till your kids are teenagers. I look forward to it. Thirdly, persuasion. Persuasion. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says, One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart and responded to Paul's message. I want you to catch this because this will set you free. While I believe we play our part, none of us can ever, ever save anybody. And none of us, none of us, can ever heal anybody. And I refuse to have the church or anyone else put this pressure on me that I have to dance for you. I can't save anybody. All I can do is play my part. And that's what God wants us to do. Why do some people get healed and some don't? I don't know. Take it up with God. I'm not God. The work of regeneration or being born again is something that the Holy Spirit only can do. We see that Paul preached the message. Lydia listened and responded. But only God opened her heart. I can't make a dead person come to life. I can't make a blind person see. Our message that we are bringing is like trying to tell a blind man what the colour red looks like. You can't unless God moves. That being the case, if we are serious about reaching the people in our world, how much are we praying? See, prayer is not something we should have to do as a legalistic obligation I think there should be this many people in our prayer meetings prior if we're really serious about the church being all she could. Not out of legalistic duty, but how else is God going to move unless we ask him to move? This is the the illustration I had. I was reminded back to my days of Meredith Shearer, this girl I liked. And it hit me that I can't make anyone love me. I, as a guy, could have a shower I could do my hair, I could spray deodorant, I could put some aftershave on, I could open the door for her, I could be really nice, I could pay for a meal, but none of that will make her love me. It can go to some ways to putting yourself in the game, but it doesn't mean she'll love me. And I believe that's what God is asking of us, to co-labor with him, to do our part. And if a young lady didn't like me because I did that, it doesn't mean now I'm never going to shower again. That's what people do. I've tried witnessing and they never do it again. What we do, we just get dressed up for somebody else because there's some lucky lady out there. Her name was Catherine Allen. She was there waiting for me. And so we play our part. Are you getting this, church? But we can't save anybody. 
And it's arrogant to think you can do church without prayer and, 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 and ignore prayer meeting after prayer meeting. Do you know what they're saying of you? It is saying that you're arrogant. You don't need that. Well, I'm just not that arrogant. I just, I just, it's so humbling for me to be good at what I do. I'm a good communicator. I'm a good preacher. But unless God moves, dead people will leave dead people. And if you're not switched on to Jesus, you are dead. You are dead, dead, dead. The only person that can breathe life and bring a born-again experience is God himself. And I don't think that much of my preaching to think I can do it. I can make you laugh. I can make you cry. I can make you mad. I can make you sad. I can make you glad, but I cannot save you. And for me, this is an incredibly freeing thing. Because when you know that that is out of your hands, you stop trying to do what only God can do. See, when you are an employee or an employer, it's different. This is the difference. An employee will go to work and they will do what they are asked to do, but the moment it's knockoff time, they go home and they don't think about the business again. But the owner of the business does. And so the employee does, hopefully, does what has been asked and then goes away and doesn't think about the business. That's the prerogative of the owner of the business. Likewise in our home. Our kids live in a home, a house, that they have chores to keep it tidy, but they never worry about the mortgage. That's my prerogative. And the reason the employer, sorry, employee doesn't worry about the business is because they're not the employer. And the reason the kids don't worry about the mortgage is because they're not the parents. And the reason you and I should not worry about healing is because we ain't God. Oh, but we should do our part. And this is what I believe is called missioning in rest. It's not struggling and striving and trying to be God and after all I've done, they should be just, I'm just doing my bit. Now it's over to you. And so we can work really hard, but really rested Because you know what? That's between them and God now. It is so freeing, church. And I believe that's why so many people just give up, take a back seat involvement in the church because they've tried, now they're just exhausted. If you're exhausted, it's because you're not using the energy that is given to you by God. God wants us to work hard for Him, but to not worry about the things we often worry about. As our musicians come, I want to close with this thought. Because it's a question I asked someone this week. I said, do you know the difference between today's worries and tomorrow's worries? It comes down to one little word. Grace. In Matthew, if we can have it up on the screen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. For each day has enough troubles of its own. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? But the difference between today's worries and troubles is that there's grace for it. And so we may have something we've got to face today, but God will give you the grace for it. You start worrying about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, your retirement, you will wear yourself out. And there's a lot of Christians that are worn out 
there's a lot of Christians that have given up because they think they've tried this, but they haven't. They've just worried themselves sick. And so I said, just to close your eyes, just for a moment. We've made Christianity so much harder than it ought to be. What is so hard about loving Jesus, having a relationship with Him, enjoying the experience and telling our mates? That's as simple as it is. But we overcomplicate it. And I just pray in this moment right now, the Holy Spirit will do a work in us and we can just see it different because I realize that my communication ability today, as good as it has been, I believe, isn't enough. I hope you don't leave angry. I hope you don't leave mad. I hope you leave changed. But to do that, you've got to let God in. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Paul, probably one of the greatest apostles outside of Jesus, said, I worked and I labored and I struggled more than all the other apostles. But he never got burnt out. It's an amazing thing. Because he knew what it was to work in rest. If you are burnt out, it's probably not because of the reasons you think it is. It's probably because you've taken your eyes and focus off Jesus. And haven't let him in enough. And I want to encourage you to reignite that relationship with Christ. So that you can reestablish a fresh vision in your heart for the lost. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.